0: Uh, I want to come out of the gate this morning. I want us to have a little bit of a laugh. Let's have a little bit of levity in in this situation right now. I want to come out with a confession uh, and, and tell you that I enjoy watching what I'm going to call reaction videos. It's where something happens to a a group that's maybe not expecting it and then we get to see their reaction. Someone has a camera phone or someone has something turned on them and we watch them react and people reacting to all kinds of stuff. So instead of describing, I want to give you about a minute and a half kind of showing you some of the things that I will sit and watch and, and, and enjoy. So take a look at this. You ready? Yeah. Alright. One, two, three, we're, we're pregnant! we pregnant! <laughs> Whaaaaat? <laughs> Look. your candy. It's all gone. Did you see the candy wrappers in the yeah. Michael, so I'm sorry guys, but it, we can get we some, can more, get some next more next year. year. Well, me and your mom ate all of your candy. You are not nice. <laughs> We're really sorry. But, no, you're not. <laughs> but we. After we ate all your candy. Oh, good. (laughs) Oh, good job. Now, listen, I am not exempt from this. Now, I don't have a video of myself, but I want to show you a picture. Uh, that, that, that came from the, the Pettisville crowd about a month ago when we won a, a basketball game at the Buzzer. So this, this is a picture of our crowd. We just won a, a playoff game at the Buzzer. So you can see our, our, our student section, and then you, you notice the, the chubby bald guy over here to your left. Let's, I think we've enhanced that. So this is me over here. On the side reacting to this game when he shot. And then if you go over to the right, there in order is my niece Anna, then there's my, my daughter Maisie. And then if you notice the girl that's kind of covering her head, that, that was that's our exchange student Trina, who's from Germany and doesn't understand American basketball. So she's literally covering her head thinking something's gonna happen. She later admitted she thought the the, the, the stands were gonna collapse from everybody jumping. But those are reactions. Th- those are people reacting to things, and had the picture been taken, maybe a couple seconds earlier I'm not sure what you would have saw from me because I I felt like I had an out-of-body experience and I was maybe floating up towards the the ceiling there but what is at the heart of most reactions even those that are not recorded There is some level of spontaneity, it is unplanned, there is maybe even a lack of control. We saw the guy after the basketball game and he's just like throwing cups and stuff of of full whatever into the crowd there. The the kids breaking down and screaming and crying because we ate all your trick or treat candy or your Easter candy. Think about how we even react to social media posts these days. We are giving a, a row of emojis where we can give a thumbs up or we can give a sad face or we can give an angry face or we can give a laughy face. And we have all of these reactions that we, that we can do. Now contrast reactions with responding to something. Think about when we respond. What is in a response? Those tend to be more thought out. Those tend to be more planned. It's an answer to something, to a question, to a problem. How terrible would these reaction videos be if the crowd, if we see the crowd after the game winning shot and they just kind of lean back and Kind of give you one of these. What about when the mom finds out she's going to become a grandmother and she has this very serious response? Well, I hope you thought this through. Having a child is, is very serious and very important. Do you have a plan? Do you, how are you going to provide for this child? No, nobody wants to, be, no one wants to be there when that happens. What about the kid gives you this well-reasoned shaming for eating his candy? How dare you, dad? I can't believe you would stoop to that level and eat my candy. How, who would watch that? That is a terrible reaction video. Think about in this season that we're in right now with this, with this pandemic, and we are seeing both a lot of reactions, and we are seeing a lot of responses to this. And in this context, we probably favor responses more than reactions we probably favor responses more. Many of us have have found Dr. Acton speaking on an afternoon to be this soothing, calming presence in this ever-changing landscape. You ever notice that? She never gets above this. She kind of speaks at this level the whole time. I know this is a terrible Dr. Acton, but she doesn't really come higher or lower than that. She is responding. And that has been a very soothing thing for most of us here in Ohio. So what I'd like to point out this morning, keeping those two things in mind, is that in the life of David, which is where we're continuing this morning, specifically in the Psalms, there is this tendency to see David both reacting to what's going on in his world and then responding to his God with the truth. We see those all the time in, in the Psalms that he has written. And and ultimately, as we move towards Good Friday and this beginning of what we call the Passion Week or the Easter week, uh, following the life of Jesus, the last week of of his life before the crucifixion, I'd like us to observe the parallels between what we're going to see in Psalm 22, which David wrote, and the crucifixion of Jesus as we move towards Good Friday. So think of this message as kind of the bridge between our series on David and as we ramp up towards celebrating the Lord's resurrection. So what I'd like to do first is set up Psalm 22 and and read some verses. I'm not going to read all 31, but I just want to point out a few verses where we see David reacting, and then we see David responding. So I'll I'll kind of shout out verses. We'll hopefully have those on the screen as you can follow along. But we start in, in 22, verse 1, where David comes out of the gate, and he just says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? We'll jump down to verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and I'm not a man. I'm scorned and despised by all. And everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Jump down to verse 12. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. The fierce bulls of, of Bashan have hemmed me in. Verse 14. My life is poured out like water and all my my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. Verses 17 through 18, I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. And now look at verse 22. Same psalm, same author. What's going on here? It almost feels like a split personality here. And then David jumps in in verse 22 and he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people, that sounds like a response. It sounds like somebody who has thought it through and has come up with a a, a response to everything that's going on around him. Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. And finally, 30 through 31, are. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. And what you're going to see if you study the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of David, a lot of the time, not every time, but a lot of the time, you're going to see David coming out of the gate, guns blazing, you know, knee-jerk reactions to what's going on in his situation. And then after he's poured out his soul, he can make this transition to who God is and the truth in his word, and he can respond to that. And Crossroads, this isn't terribly unlike how we have been encouraging you for years to pour out your soul, to pour out the the, the stuff that's going on in your heart. If it's a reaction to the world around you, if it's a reaction to what's going on right now and crisis and and all the, the unknowns that are taking place, to pour that out, To the Lord, and I might throw in right now, not to your family and not to your friends, especially in this season. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Because we're going to find that when we do, we can turn that corner and begin to praise Him. And our tone can change. I've heard people talk about writing out, pouring out their heart to, to the Lord in their prayer journal. When they get started, I mean, they're almost like puncturing the paper. They're pressing down on the pen so hard. And then by the time they have vented that stuff to the Lord, and they start to turn that corner and praise God for who He is, the, the writing even becomes lighter because they have become lighter in their spirit by getting it out. Now with that in mind, kind of turn the corner again this morning and let's re-examine this psalm in light of the crucifixion. For some of these psalms, while not originally written to be prophetic, have become what we call messianic psalms. Psalms that predict or speak of the coming Messiah, who we identify as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if we look closely at this psalm and at the events of Good Friday, we are going to discover that David's reactions in Psalm 22, become Jesus' response at the crucifixion. So what I'm going to do is kind of go through a few passages here, first out of Psalm 22, and show how the events and even the things that David is describing in Psalm 22 are being mirrored or, or paralleled in the Gospels on Good Friday. So we'll start out in Psalm 22 in verse 7, where David says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. And if we jump over to Matthew 27, most of these gospel passages will be out of Matthew. Where Matthew's gospel says they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, king of the Jews! And then they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, there's that word again, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again, then they led him away to be crucified. Jump from there, we'll jump around in Psalm 22 a little bit. Verse 16, the second half of that verse says, they have pierced my hands and feet. And while we don't have a specific word-for-word description of Jesus' crucifixion, where it says specifically they put nails in his hands and in his feet, everything we know historically about Roman crucifixion is that nails either went through the, the palm of the hand or slightly below the wrist. So his hands are being pierced and one went through both feet. So, so we're seeing that come alive too. And even echo this with Jesus' words after the resurrection to Thomas where he says, Thomas, put, put your fingers in my hands where the nails were. Back to, to Psalm 22 and verse 8. Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Again, back to Matthew 27 and verse 41. The leading priests and the teachers of the law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel. is he? Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For even he said, I am the son of God. Psalm 22, verse 14, my life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. Then we see something similar over in John, chapter 19, verse 34, where it tells us one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. My life is being poured out like water. 22.15, 22.15, my strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Back to John's Gospel, chapter 19. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so he soaked a sponge in it and put, a hyssop branch, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. I'm, the tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth because I am thirsty. And then we see Jesus asking for something to drink from the cross. Psalm twenty-two, seventeen. 17, I can count all my bones, but they stare at me and they gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and they throw dice for my clothing. Matthew 27, 35, after they have nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And then ultimately, where, where the psalm starts, David coming out of the gate and saying, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far when i help, groan for help? And then we see in Matthew 27, 46, almost word for word, at about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus sees all of these transpiring events and gives this well-thought-out, well-timed echo of the beginning of David's Psalms. And it's well thought out and it's well timed because all of human history had been building to this point. Jesus isn't watching all of this stuff happen from the cross through his agony, through his tears, through his pain. And he doesn't think, you know what, I've got a great psalm that captures this occasion. He's watching all of this stuff happen and he knew that that was going to happen and he knew the meaning of these words. Why have you abandoned me? All of Scripture had been building towards this point. All of human history had been building to this point. From the creation to the fall, from the exodus out of Egypt to the giving of the law in the desert, from the time of David to the time of Jesus, we're seeing that what happened on Good Friday with the crucifixion isn't just God's knee-jerk reaction. Back to our beginning and, and reactions to things. This isn't his just reaction to my sin and to my wandering and to my selfishness. This isn't God sitting in glory and saying, you know, 2,000 years from now, I'm going to have to deal with this guy in Wauseon, Ohio. I'm going to have to deal with with this guy's attitude and his ego and his sinful heart. What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. That's not it at all. The cross is not God's last-ditch effort to keep us afloat. It's not him simply tossing a life jacket from heaven to keep us from drowning in our sins. It's so much more than that. I want us to see this morning as we begin to to celebrate this Easter week, as we move towards the events of Good Friday and the crucifixion, I want us to walk away knowing that the cross is God's necessary, necessary response to our sin and along your, your, your journey, your discipleship with Jesus or your investigation of Jesus, you may have encountered people who might say questions along the lines of, Why did Jesus have to die? Why why did it have to go that way? Is that really necessary? I mean, it's so bloody and violent, and isn't God love? And couldn't God have just shown up and said, hey, everybody, I just want to let you know everything is canceled, everybody's debt is canceled, everybody's sin is forgiven, I just need you to listen to this guy here, he's my son, he's got some good teachings for you, everybody get along. People will ask those questions but we have to remember that this is thinking through finite lenses. This is thinking through a finite brain who only, only understands finite concepts. And God's ways and His thoughts are much higher than ours. He even says that in His Word. But what we have to do through the finite lenses, through this finite thinking, is we have to keep the following three th- aspects of God intention. We have to keep God's righteousness, God's justice, and His love intention. We have to keep all three of those aspects of God in tension. Because as we evaluate and examine those one at a time, first off, we're going to see that God's righteousness demands me to be sinless. God's righteousness demands me to be sinless. And I can't. I can't be sinless. There it is. Because Romans... 3.23 tells me that everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. God's absolute righteousness and his holiness demands that I live a sinless life, but I can't do that. I can't live a sinless life. And so because I can't live a sinless life, then it turns to God's justice. And God's justice, because I can't live a sinless life, God's justice demands my death. If I can't keep God's absolute standard, which is holiness and perfection, then the punishment for that is my death. Again, we're back in Romans chapter 6 that tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But ultimately, when people say, well, isn't God's love? Well, let's look at that. God's absolute love, his absolute standard of love demands that I get a second chance. God's absolute standard of love, his, his love for, for the world, demands that I get a second chance. Romans 5 8, that tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So I want you to take these three aspects of God's nature, his righteousness, his absolute justice, his absolute love, and think of it as like a three-legged stool, We have to have, I mean, the camera that's recording me is on three legs. If I take one of these legs out, it's going to be a real interesting stream for you to watch here. But we have to keep those three aspects of God's nature in, in tension like a three-legged stool. And we have to have all three of those things for it to be sustainable, for it to stand, for, for it not to, to, to be contradictory or for God to compromise himself. We cannot remove one of those legs because it would compromise one of those aspects of God's nature. We can't take away the righteousness part of it because then it would compromise his justice. We can't take away his justice because then it would compromise his... They all have to be together. And enter in, Jesus, the one we worship, the one we believe in, as we would say, Jesus is central to our faith. And let's see how Jesus fulfills all three of those aspects of God's nature. First of all, with along righteousness, Jesus' sinless life fulfills God's righteousness. Jesus' sinless life fulfills God's righteousness. If God's demands is for me to be perfect. Jesus is the one who does that. Jesus lives a sinful life, and he fulfills God's righteousness, even as he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law. I didn't come to do that, but I came to fulfill it. So Jesus meets all the requirements of the law and and lives a sinless life, and it fulfills God's righteousness. Next, Jesus's death, as both fully God and fully human, satisfies God's justice. Now, I just said that we, it's hard for us to think about this with finite brains, but I'm going to ask you to, to, to hang in here with me. This is why Jesus' death is both fully God and fully human satisfies God's justice. If my sin, if the punishment for my sin is my death, because I am finite, I can only satisfy that one time. I can only pay for my sin against an infinite God in which the punishment goes on forever. I can only satisfy that with my death one time. But God demands an infinite covering of that. God demands one that's going to cover forever. So enter in Jesus who being fully God becomes fully human. So that by his death, him being an infinite God, he, his death covers me and endures forever. And it covers forever. So, his death satisfies God's justice because it pays it out forever. And then finally, Jesus' atonement for my sin displays God's love and provides a way to salvation for me. Jesus' death, his atonement, satisfies God's love where God says, I want there to be a second chance. Think about God who gave second chances throughout Scripture Adam and Eve second chance. Abraham, second chance. Moses, second chance. Israel, 40 years of chances, hundreds of years of chances. We've been going through the life of David. How many second chances did David get from God after all of the despicable things that he's done? Think about the second chances that God gave them, and he gives us a second chance as well through Christ. With all that in mind, and ultimately this morning, by ways of personal application, when it's all said and done, those of you who are watching at home, ultimately we will all either react or respond to the cross. We started out talking about reactions versus responses. And when it comes to the cross and when it comes to Jesus, that's really all we have. We will either react or respond to the cross and so as we enter into this Easter season the question we have to ask ourselves is which one will I do? Which will I do? Will I react to the cross or will I respond? There's no third option. Will I react? That's crazy. That's crazy. Jesus, uh, God came to earth as a man and lived a sinless life and I, I can't get behind that, this, this is, this is kind of goofy, a crucified God, a, a God who allowed himself to be killed for me, and, and why do that instead of coming in and taking over and, and becoming a, a king like we, we, think, we think of, or, or even this is a reaction. What if we hear the gospel, what if we hear about who Jesus is, and we respond with, sounds good, I think I'll check that out. But remember even Jesus' words about the seeds in the rocky ground. Those seeds are, yeah, that sounds good. I'll check it out. And Jesus says it starts out well, but it doesn't last because the roots can't go anywhere. Even that is a reaction. Where are we going to respond this Easter season? We have weighed the points of the gospel. Jesus tells us, to count the cost, not to go into it half-hearted. Jesus says nobody, uh, nobody builds a tower without sitting down to figure out if they have enough money to do that or, or planning it out. Jesus also says nobody puts his, anybody who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit to be my disciple. So will we respond that way where we have considered the cost of following Jesus? And to echo the words of Eugene Peterson, we think of it as a long obedience in the same direction. That is a response to what Jesus did on our behalf. So, we begin to, to wrap up this morning, I would like to point out even Jesus' words where it almost sounds like a reaction and then he even turns a corner and goes response. And we see it a couple times in the Gospels, kind of around this same time uh, of his life. The first one is in John 27. Or John 12, 27 and 28, where Jesus admits, and this is what I love about Jesus, is is, is we get we get glimpses of Jesus' humanity in the gospels. And if we will camp out in it long enough, we'll see that he does identify with us in every way. As Hebrews says. John 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Reactionary. Should I pray? Reaction. Father, save me from this hour. Should I react that way? But then look how he he turns the corner. But it is, this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Even Jesus says, should I react to this? (laughs) Should I say, God, this is too much. Get me out of this. This is more than I bargained for. But look how he turns the corner and responds. But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. The other time we see this, which is, which is a similar state of Jesus' soul and, and him bearing his soul to us, Matthew 26, verse 38, there in the Garden of, the, uh, Garden of Gethsemane, before the, the events of the cross, where Jesus says to his disciples, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he went off, he went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Reaction. Reaction. But then look at the response. He turns the corner. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. So church in the in an ever-changing landscape where we don't know what this day holds as opposed to tomorrow and, and where things keep changing every day, we have this great opportunity this Easter, this Easter season, to respond to what Jesus did for us, to respond to those we are interacting with as Jesus did, to respond to our neighbors and, and however social distant way you can to respond to those who are searching for hope and for an answer this Easter season to respond as Jesus did and in the same way David did in the latter half of Psalm 22 that we leave with this this morning verses 30 and 31 in light of the Easter season future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. That's the hope of Jesus this Easter season. Let's pray together. Father, it is so easy to react every day, even if there were no pandemic situation, even if we didn't have... these kind of self-imposed rules or or government-imposed mandates or government suggestions about things. It would be super easy just to react every day. But Lord, how can we respond instead because of the hope we have in Jesus? How can we respond instead of react? How can we use that to be salt and light this Easter season, where people are searching for an answer, for an, 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 an antidote, an immunization, some way out of this. And Father, how can we respond with the answer? With the way out, with the only way out. How can we respond with that? Jesus, I thank you that that you came to respond that the plan was always to respond to our sin, that you didn't react to that. And so, Lord, as we gear up for the week uh, of events that that lead to the the death of of, of Jesus on Good Friday, may we keep that in mind and respond to the hope that you have set before us by your, your death and resurrection, that we would respond to that with our worship and with our discipleship, God, we give you glory and praise this Easter season. Thank you for for giving us the necessary way out. We'll respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen.